Okay, good evening everyone. Again, still trying to get the audio at the proper volume. Hopefully it's better tonight. Let me know if it's not. So tonight The first set of dhammas in the Satipatthana Sutta, when we get to the section on dhammas, the first set is the hindrances. And you've got to think there's a reason for that. that before all other dhammas, for someone who's practicing Satipatthana, practicing mindfulness. The first thing outside of the body, the feelings, the mind, is the hindrances, the things that will get in your way. Certainly whatever the reason, the actual reason for that is, it certainly is useful to give them to meditators in the beginning because that's when of course they're the strongest. Our ordinary relationship with our emotions is, is problematic. It's backwards, really. When we like something or we want something, we take it as uh, evidence or an indication that we need to get something, that we should obtain the object of our desire. When we dislike something or angry at something, we take it as an indication that we should do whatever we can to get rid of it. When we are tired, we take it as an indication that we should sleep. When we're distracted or restless, we take it as a sign that we should get up and do something. Not even intellectually, we just, this is, we react. Our whole being is conditioned to react in a specific way, to react in this way. When we are confused, when we have doubt about something, we have take it as indication that we should stop, stop what we're doing, reject it. And so we live our lives trying to fit the world around our expectations, around our personality, right? How many times have we made decisions based on our personality, based on our likes and dislikes? You think that's natural, right? If you don't like something, why would you seek it out? If you like something, of course, that's where you should um, 
That's where you should focus your efforts. Unfortunately, there's the, the results of this are not as positive as we might think. When you chase after what you want, what you like, you find yourself wound tighter and tighter, bound tighter and tighter to that, or those things that you like. And your happiness becomes more and more dependent on them. This is how the addiction cycle works. When we're angry, averse to things, we become vulnerable to them. More and more averse, more and more uh, fragile or, or, or vulnerable to their arising. More and more susceptible to anger, disappointment, displeasure when they arise or when they can't be removed. When we're tired, if we just sleep whenever we're tired, contrary to popular opinion, that doesn't actually give you more energy. I have a real problem with this for meditators who come to practice because psychologically they have this idea that if you're tired you should sleep. And that somehow makes you less of a tired person. And in fact it's, it's somewhat the opposite. The more quick you are to give in to sleep, the more tired you become as an individual, to some extent, of course, depending on your workload, your body does need sleep, but not to get tired, and, and if you're very, very mindful, you need far less sleep, and you're far less susceptible to drowsiness than most people. If you're restless and you just get up and go, you become restless, you become distracted as an individual, reacting, reacting to our emotions, trying to fit the world around our emotions rather than learn to have our emotions fit the world. And to see how our emotions are really the biggest reason for us not being able to fit into the world properly or without stress or suffering. When we have doubt or confusion, if we're always doubting, then we just become someone who doubts everything. We can never accomplish anything of any great significance because the habit of doubt comes up. And unless we're able to see quick results um, well, even if we are, in fact, we find ourselves doubting even those things that are right in front of us, clearly observable. This happens for meditators. They'll come, they'll get good results, and then they'll start doubting. One day they'll have great results and be sure of the practice. Next day they forget all about those results and the doubt comes back. And the doubt overrides the good results. So we look at these differently. Most of these are most of our emotions, the ones mentioned anyway, are hindrances. The point being there are positive emotions, there are good emotions, but there are also bad emotions. And we don't take it that our emotions are or should be 
the, or are the proper impetus for action, for speech, even for thought. We rather wish to cultivate emotions that are conducive to wholesome speech, deeds, thought. And so meditation, as with all other things, it's uh, the act of retrospection or reflection, looking back on yourself, rather than um, allowing the emotions to guide us. We guide ourselves back to the emotions and we learn about them, we study them. Because there's another way that people deal with emotions, they reject them, they suppress them, they try to avoid them. Desire is bad, okay, I'll just get really upset every time I'm, I want something. Anger is bad, well I'll feel really bad about that then, I'll get angry at the fact that I'm angry. If I'm tired, well then I'll try to force myself to stay awake, tire myself out by working really hard. If I'm distracted, well, then I'll force myself. I'll exert myself with lots of effort. I'll apply the effort to suppress the effort, as though that might work. You can somehow stop yourself from being distracted. And if I have doubt, well, I'll just force myself to believe, which of course is the best way to cultivate long-term doubt. doesn't help the doubt at all. In the long term it just makes you realize how you never really understood or had any good basis for confidence. It prevents you from gaining true confidence. What, gain, what helps you gain true confidence and helps overcome all of these really is observation of them. So as for the hindrances, the Buddha called them hindrances. But like all the other things in the Satipatthana Sutta, all the other aspects of our experience, he said we should be mindful of them. See how they arise, see how they cease. Watch them. Observe them. Study them. The mind is full of anger. You know this is the mind full of anger. The mind is full of lust, passion. You know this is the mind full of passion. And you know the, the arising, so that means you know also the things that give rise to them. And if you see something, that will give rise to liking, something beautiful, something attractive. So you note seeing as well. And if you note this process, you're able to understand the cause and the effect. You see what it leads to. You see the nature, the, the, the impression that you get from it. How desire is something that clouds the mind, it, it colors the mind. Anger is something that inflames the mind. Drowsiness is something that stifles the mind and so on. And so we note them just like everything else. The five hindrances. Well, the five hindrances in, in brief, liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction and doubt. These five things, as I've been talking about, these are really the most important advice to give to men. The important um, aspect of the Dhamma to focus on for as a beginner meditator. 
Because in the beginning you're overwhelmed by these. Especially, I mean, throughout the course they'll come up, but in the very beginning these are what are going to get in your way. This is what a new meditator really has to be vigilant about. If your practice is not going well, there's only five reasons, really. It's one of these five. Want liking or wanting. Disliking, which includes boredom, fear, depression, sadness, drowsiness, tiredness, distraction. Distraction is also worry you know, included in here. These things prevent you from, from focusing the mind on your work, on your task. And, and doubt, doubt or confusion. These are the only reasons why you really fail and why it's hard to practice meditation. So it's important to look at these. If these don't exist, because mindfulness can be mindful, you can be mindful of anything, whatever happens. It doesn't have to, you don't have to stick to some formula. And so without these, you can adapt, you can be flexible. And some, when experiences change, you be mindful of the new experiences. But with these, it's very hard to accept change. It's very hard to be open. It's very hard to um, be flexible in the face of impermanence, suffering, non-self, in the face of unmet expectations and so on. So there you go, I knew this was just going to be a short teaching I've decided to, because I have to think of something to talk about every day We'll go with short talks every day This is what my teacher used to do Just give you a little bit of Dhamma every day Something for us to think about in our practice So there you go, that's the Dhamma for tonight I think there's one question on the site but it wasn't really about practice If you want to ask questions again Go to our meditation site There's two two of them now Oh, three of them, okay How do you address monks? Um, oh, it's up to you People, my students call me Bhante Which means like venerable sir Or something like that Can one become a Buddhist monk and still keep in touch with family members? Yes, sure. Go to weddings, funerals? Um, funerals, maybe. Weddings might be problematic because being around alcohol is... is. I mean, it's not like you're going to drink, but it's not really a place for a Buddhist monk. It's called Agochara. There are places that are not really proper for Buddhist monks and places where they're drinking alcohol is is getting there. I mean, there's no specific rule, but my rule of thumb is places where there's alcohol, mm, use discretion. But wedding ceremonies, maybe. On the other hand, yeah, yeah, wedding ceremony, maybe. And there's lots, you know, being in touch with your family is certainly not a problem. There's lots of rules that make it clear that monks are understood to keep 
in general relations with their families because we have special exceptions for our families, exceptions to many rules, allowances, allowing us to be involved and to care for our parents, to give food to our relatives, that kind of thing. When craving arises, how should I go about cutting it out? I should read my booklet on how to meditate. You can watch my video on pornography. Uh, it's, it's my most popular video, probably by the title. But uh, I don't know, it's a long, maybe a little bit rambling, I don't know. But I think there's some good stuff in there. It's very popular for whatever reason. It was on pornography and masturbation based on a question someone asked many years ago. As a Buddhist, what should one do if a precept is accidentally broken? Well, make a determination not to break it in the future. And driving and a squirrel jumped in front of the road and I accidentally hit it. Well, that's not breaking a precept. Killing is only killing if you intend, if you intend to kill. The fact that you feel bad about it is the real problem. It's a problem because it's causing suffering. You didn't intend for the squirrel to die. There's no reason for you to be upset. If it was a person who jumped out in front of your car, nobody would come after you. The, the law wouldn't come after you unless you were speeding or reckless or something like that. I mean, even then, I don't think you'd be got, caught for manslaughter because a person jumped out in front of the, you on the, on the road. I don't know. Um... But yeah, that's certainly not a bad thing. But the bad thing is the guilt and the feeling bad about it. You should be mindful of that and learn to let it go. And be happier. Well, that's all the questions on our site. How are we doing in Second Life? Everybody hear me? Okay. Thank you all for coming out, and have a good night. <laughs>